podcast with Tola Dole Fisher. Hello and welcome. This is Woman Alive with me, Tola Dole Fisher. This is the podcast for Christian women where I'm chatting with real women about real life and real faith. You're waiting for the one, you're waiting for this man of God, but then you're exposed to mm-hmm. men of God who are not living up to the standard, which has you, which can lead people to just decide then what's the point? Right. I might as well get somebody outside because you guys are doing the same thing. Right. Marriage has become almost an idol in the church where, yeah. where you can't be a great Christian and be single. You have to be married to be a great Christian. And I don't know that it's being purposefully taught that way, but that is the general message. And I, I think in, in a lack of emphasis on personally growing in your relationship with Christ and using your gifts to go into the world as a woman or a believer, no matter whether you are married or not. The Woman Alive podcast is produced in partnership with Open Doors. I'm Toledo Fisher and I'm the editor and creative director for Premier Woman Alive. And here with me today, I've got Sheila Dugol and Valerie Janice. Today, we're asking the question, does God approve of marriage to an unbeliever? Before we get into all of that, because that, that I really want to ask you some, some hard questions, guys, so prepare yourselves. But before, I actually, before we get into all that, what is the best bit of dating advice that you have ever received? Sheila, I'm throwing this to you first. Oh, boy. Well, it's been a long time since I've dated. My husband and I have been married for 30 years, so my dating is married <laughs> dating. So I don't um, uh, Let's see. You know, I think the best advice I got back then or advice I've heard from like my son is 20 um, and, and in their world is a lot different than it was when I was dating um, would to be to meet in a public place for your starting off dating. Like don't don't go to some <laughs> remote hill in the woods for a date or something, I guess, you know, at least that was back in the day, you know, when my, when I was a teenager. So that was quite a while ago. So no back of the cinema, like yeah, sharing popcorn so together. Funny. Yeah, a public coffee house or, you know, something very open and public. So you can feel very free to exit stage left if you need to. I still tell that to my kids. Like, they say it's not like that anymore, mom. <laughs> <laughs> what I hear you saying is date in the light, yes. not in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, Valerie, what is the best bit of dating advice you've ever heard or given, I guess? You know, I for me, it's especially as women, if, I think we have a tendency to I had a tendency anyway to pour a lot into people and to be really mindful about how I made them feel and not be as intentional about paying attention to how they make me feel not about them, but about myself. Uh, there's certain people I've been in relationships with. And by the time I left, I left with insecurities I didn't walk in with. So be really mindful about how do you feel about yourself and essentially who are you becoming as a result of this person or this connection? So for me, the best bit of dating advice I've been given, I've been giving a lot of, I've been given a lot of advice about dating and I tend to ignore it because I just feel like so many people's voices into my life can, it's always based on their experience, right? So it's not necessary stuff I always want to, to listen to. 
But I did hear something that was very interesting once. Um, recently, someone said to me, the way that your date treats people around you guys, because often once a date, it's just the two of you. So you only really see them in, in relation to, to you. And they're going to put all their effort into you and they're going to be perfect and nice because they're showing their best side. But the way they treat like the staff, if you're going out to a restaurant in the light, Sheila, they're going out to a restaurant, in the public space or a coffee yeah. shop or the barista, but in how they treat those people um, is a real reflection of how they uh, will, you know, treat you and, and down the line. And also if you're dating someone who already has, um, uh, has children from a previous relationship and therefore has a, a partner from a previous relationship, mm. if the way they speak about that person, mm. you should pay attention to. Yeah. Um, so that's why, yeah, I've, I, and I remember thinking, because otherwise you you think, oh, actually, it doesn't matter how, what they say about that person because it's in their past. Mm. But at one point, they should have loved that, uh, in theory, loved that person. So if they're trash talking that person, <laughs> not so good. <laughs> I like that. That's good. My mom used to yeah. say, if they're talking to you about somebody else, they're talking about you to somebody else. So, yes, you guys are from the US. So I don't know if you've heard of a company called Single Friendly Church. They are UK based um, and they are an organization that aims to help churches to welcome, value and include single people. Um, and they are at singlefriendlychurch.com. Um, in a recent survey they did. Just over 40% of Christians they are said that they would consider marrying a non-Christian. That's both male and female. Mm. Um, does, that, does, that, does that statistic surprise you? I mean, I think that's, yeah. considering we're, we have this general idea that we're meant to be Christians yoked, equally yoked to other Christians, 40% is quite high. Mm. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? It doesn't surprise me. Um, I think it doesn't. I've been thinking a lot about how I think there's like a what well, I, I hear the term post Christendom or we're sort of in an era. I don't, I'm not sure how this relates to the UK or um, but at least in the West, in, in the United States, there's definitely a post Christendom. There's a which I think is great. I mean, that that's a that's a good thing for the church. I think actually it purifies the church. And that's, I have a lot of opinions about that. But I think that it also creates a situation where there's more partners. Like in my situation, my husband, I thought was a Christian when we married, um, but a lot of people leave the faith uh, and there's a lot more nuns in the church than there used to be in ONES. Um, uh, I, I, so I think there is, is an idea that the, or there's a, there's a sort of um, a cleaning out of some bad doctrine or bad teaching or bad uh, cultural adaptions in the church that is, are causing people to leave the church and also then causing Christians in the church to look outside the church for a partner because they're seeing unhealthy things in the church. So um, it doesn't surprise me, but I've been thinking about that a lot because I think that isn't, I think that'll be increasing. I think there'll be more people yeah. are either finding themselves married to unbelievers or choosing to marry unbelievers because of the situation in the church the situation so sheila you said that you uh were you and your husband you and your husband were christians when you got married weren't you well can you tell us a bit about that yeah i mean we were 17 when i met so we were 19 and 20 when i got married so we were babies um and and my husband um was raised Catholic and then chose to be baptized in the church that I was attending as my childhood church. And he made a profession of faith. And as much as I knew, um, 
or I could understand it. I was a fairly new Christian myself. So we both uh, went to church and we both um, did premarital counseling and we both were baptized in that church. And um, yeah, so he, he did profess faith, but um, that's a very personal specific thing to each person's relationship, but how Christian, how their Christian faith is played out in my, the way I'm calling a person a Christian is by Orthodox teachings of Christianity. So historically, what does the Christian believe? My husband doesn't believe those things. He doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. He doesn't believe in the resurrection, bodily resurrection of Christ. He doesn't believe in the atonement, being meaning that Christ died for our sins. Um, so those things separate him, even though he would say, well, I don't understand why you don't call me a Christian. I mean, I went to church. I Yeah. Valerie, just to get back to that statistic, I wonder if you had any thoughts on that, that 40%. You know, it's not surprising. And I agree with what Sheila says in terms of it increasing. I do think there's a distinction between um, marrying or getting involved with somebody who was a believer and who then throughout the course made a, makes a different decision versus choosing, knowingly choosing an unbeliever. And I feel like, I don't know, I'm assuming that that 40% speaks more to the people who are actively choosing um, non-believers. And I think in large part it's because people are tired of waiting. <laughs> They're tired of waiting for this, yeah. this one, mm-hmm. this promise. And then also, like Sheila said, you're waiting for the one, you're waiting for this man of God, but then you're exposed to mm-hmm. men of God who are not living up to the standard, which has you, which can lead um, people to just decide then what's the point right I might as well get somebody outside because you guys are doing the same thing right. so it's not surprising yeah you mentioned in there the, this idea of the one which is come from the world I think and Valerie in the article you wrote for us um, about your experience with your ex-fiance did he say to you that God told him he was the one for you oh, absolutely. He, he was like God showed me who you're gonna be with and I was just like, oh, my goodness, God is talking about me? Who? <laughs> as well as again, I was a new believer. I, I was born and raised in church, but this was my first journey with, like, an active relationship going from church goer to believer. And he was a huge part of that. So when he said, God said, I was, I was all ears. And my desire was to please God, not him. It was to please God. So even though I personally wasn't attracted to him, because God said, I'm not going to reject God's gift. Mm-hmm. So I said yes as well. Just to throw out there, I mean, that's that's a, a really big indicator, I think, of a warning sign. Like, I mean, I I think God talks to us. I think, I mean, the, the scripture says God talks to us. But when somebody comes into your life and they're using their influence to, and using God as a PowerPoint for getting what they want from you, it should be a big warning flag to us. Um, and so, I, I mean, I just hearing you say that, I just think that that's going back to dating advice. If they're using God as the, as the reason why that God told them something about you, I just might be tucked that in the back. I'm not saying don't date them, but maybe explore that some more before you, but I, mm. you know, when you were talking about that um, too, about the, the unbelievers, choosing to marry i think part of the problem is too is that marriage has become almost an idol in the church where 
Yeah. Where you can't be a great Christian and be single. You have to be married to be a great Christian. And I don't know that it's being purposefully taught that way. Maybe in, in my church, it's not. But that is the general message. It's a lot of, and I, I think, and a lack of um, emphasis on personally growing in your relationship with Christ and using your gifts and being on mission with Jesus to to go into the world as a woman or a believer no matter whether you are married or not. Can I just speak to that? So the first thing you said in regards to if somebody tells you God said, that's a warning sign. I think it, it, I agree to an extent. It can be mm-hmm. if they, so part of the challenge, it wasn't so, it wasn't only that he said God said, mm-hmm. and it, it may not have even been a problem that he said God said. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger issue was that I didn't think God could speak to me. And he never said that part. So, okay, yeah, God said, but go pray. Go see what God tells you. You know, for me, I didn't think God could speak to me. So in in essence, he was like my Moses. He was my, he was the one going to God. And he was happy that dynamic versus saying, look, I believe God told me something or God showed me something. I want you to pray about it. Yes. And let's see if you're in agreement with what God said. Right. Um, So, it's the the declaration that God said. It raises something, but the first thing it should raise is 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 your hand to say, like, you know what? All right, if you said God said, then that means I need to step back to to figure out if God is telling yeah. both of us the same thing. If there's a conflict, if what I said, what I believe God is telling me, doesn't match what you believe God is telling you, my default needs to be what God told me. I can't make your relationship with God more important than my relationship with God. And because Mm. that was the case, that's where I messed up. That's, that's what, not even mess up. That's where, that was my blonde spot. I didn't know. Um, And I've had, yeah, I've had something, I've had that a similar, not even a similar experience in terms of God told me just that this um, relationship with God where it's been like an adopted child relationship where I don't know that God can talk to me because I don't feel like I'm spiritual enough so I feel like he'll speak to the elders in my church and they'll then tell me things so I was in a, a church experience where literally anything they if they came to me and said God told you to do this I jump mm. because in in my mind like what they're saying God told me to do is what God told me to do. So that second part, really, second um, like removed relationship is a really important thing to consider. Like that impacts how you respond to those kind of comments God told me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, go on, Valerie. No, I was just going to say, it just reminds me of Samuel, Eli and God. Right. Like here comes this instance where God is speaking to Samuel. Samuel runs to the person he knows, Eli. And Eli had enough wisdom, enough fear of God, enough integrity to say, you know what? Go back. Is God speaking to you? And this is what you say. It's there's nothing wrong with having an Eli in your life. I think the problem is when Eli wants to become God. Or when we allow Eli to be God and we don't know that, no, we need to go back and have our own connection. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what I was, I think that's just what I was feeling was like this warning that just to stop, like you said, seek God for yourself too. And, 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 you know, test the spirits like the scripture says, just, is that really God? 
that's speaking, he will speak that to you too. Valerie, I was going to say, on the surface of it, you're here you are, Christian, who you were, sorry, a Christian dating a Christian. Um, were you equally yoked? You know, there were warnings, right? And I think, again, it there's that's where the discernment comes in. That's where I, I didn't I. I was aware of things that I dismissed because it was under the God set umbrella or yeah, but you're a man of God. So I didn't know to question or when people are like, there were people around me like, oof, I don't know. I don't know. It's it, like, I would just check him out. Is he telling the truth? Is, and I was just like, no, 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 you don't like him. So I wasn't able to hear feedback. I only heard what I to hear and and it wasn't even like I was listening for what I wanted to hear I just you thought it was the right thing you're doing the right thing they, like they are it's the enemy speaking against our relationship and I was just like okay yeah. but even though there were things I was noticing and in the end I was just like God I know there's going to be trouble but dad all the time <laughs> and, and why am I crying all the time and if this is us eating what is it going to be like married? Seriously. You know, yeah. um, it's a really, it, it's, it's really, yeah. yeah. The other thing I want to say really quickly, Sheila mentioned like in church, we make marriage an idol because you don't feel like you could be a good Christian without being married. And I think for me, um, I, I think I'm a fine Christian without being married. I think the challenge becomes the desires. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. like if I, you know, I, I joke all the time, like, Dag, if I if I wasn't a believer, it's interesting because you see Oprah and she has Stedman. She never got married, never had kids, but she had Stedman, right? So she, you know, from the outside looking in, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there is a there is a psychological, physiological part of this life experience where we have desires. And what do you do with yeah. those desires? if you're not married (laughs) and I think that's also yes right I I think there that it's both um and I think there really is a push to to a cultural push historical push maybe less and less now in current culture but to be married um and, and I think it's important to try to explore your own. But those desires that are there are there because God's put them there, obviously. And not always do we get, I mean, same as being a mother. You, you, Many women have a desire to be a mother and never get to be mothers. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, physical mothers to children from their own body or even adopted mothers. And so I think it's just important to press into um, what does it mean to be a woman of God, period, whether I'm married or not, what does that look like? And, you know, being married doesn't fix, um, doesn't make me pure. It doesn't make me, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like once you're married, you don't sin anymore because all the sin is gone because right. you can have sex essentially. Right. The sexual sin does not just disappear just because you. <laughs> well, the idea of the term yoked is found in the Bible in Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. I'm reading the NIV version, um, and it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? 
or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Mm. And that is Paul's um, kind of advice to the church in uh, Corinth. Well, why do you think this advice has been given by Paul and is in our church? It's like, what, what are we, you know, afraid of mm. in dating someone that is not a believer? What, what are we trying to avoid here? I think that Paul, there's a bigger context here. So Paul's writing to a church, a new, a new, new church early in the history of the church that came out of, from what I understand, I'm not a trained theologian, but from what I understand, like the Corinthian church was practicing the culture's practices about sex and marriage and had a lot of questions about what does that look like? And um, they even, you know, he writes in first Corinthians seven, an answer to a question about whether you should leave your marriage if your spouse is not is an unbeliever. So I think there's a context here of trying to address like get, getting out of of the culture cultural mindset and thinking like Christ about your relationships. Um, so I don't think necessarily it's fear, but I think he's trying to say warning. I want your best because I love you, and you, this is not for. For your best you you are going i mean you marry somebody because you want the most intimate kind of relationship human beings can have with another human being it's the most intimate relationship there is and god compares it to christ's relationship with the church so it's the it's a beautiful and deep and wonderful mystery the bible calls it but so if that's the case and you're trying to achieve this intimacy and you start off with two kinds of loves, a love that's aimed towards pleasing self and another love that's aimed towards pleasing Christ, you're not going to be able to achieve that intimacy that you desire. Or in my case, you're going to try to find ways to make it happen and it'll make the marriage unhealthy, very unhealthy. Um, So you'll either find yourself trying to abandon God a little bit or abandon the relationship a little bit. You'll always have this. And I think Paul just doesn't want us to have to experience that. And that's why he warns the church. I I agree that I do find it more of a warning. You know, I, I remember there was, I was walking, I was on my walk and talks with God, right? I was on a walk in Central Park, having a conversation with God about relationships and the analogy that came to mind is a caterpillar and an earthworm falling in love, right? So for a season, they journey the same. They go the same places. They eat similar, if not the same things. Um, There is an appearance of equalness. However, Mm -hmm. the caterpillar is destined Mm -hmm. to transcend. It is destined to fly it this is only temporary but what do you do if a caterpillar falls in love and marries an earthworm Mm -hmm. while we may not physically see this transformation there is a reality that who you let into your life can alter the course of your life and can plays a significant role in the heights that you can get to Mm -hmm. and i believe um part of the the warning, part of the encouragement that comes from a loving father that says, don't be unequally yoked is because there are certain places he wants to take us that in the wrong relationship and unequally yoked for me, is not just believer, non-believer. 
disbelieving yeah. with wrong believer. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, it just because you believe the same thing doesn't mean there's an alignment. Doesn't mean that this person is the chosen one for you. While I may not believe in theoretically the one, I do believe God has a purpose person that is for our lives, which is even more true depending on the assignment that you have on your life. So um, you can be grounded by love. And usually the person who pays the bigger price is the one that was destined to fly. Woman Alive with Tola Doll Fisher. Okay, so I'm going to move on to uh, another juicy part of this uh, segment of this podcast episode where we have a a section called Great Sexpectations on the Woman Alive website where readers send in their questions about sex and relationships. So uh, they they send their questions in and to the Woman Alive team, which is myself and a few other people, and we take it in turns to respond to them with what we think they should do um today i'm putting that responsibility on you guys so today's question listen hard <laughs> today's question is do i have to tell my christian partner about my sexual history um and we don't have any other information other than that so let's assume the right the, the reader is a christian because they're reading christian magazine um and they're asking do i have to tell my christian partner about my sexual history um floor's open for you guys to respond what do you think a christian partner versus christian husband two different things right i think you want to have an open safe space in your marriage where you can discuss any and everything including your sexual history that being said just because you're dating somebody doesn't guarantee it's going to go to marriage so if every time you're in a perspective you know in a relationship you you don't I don't think you necessarily have to go into your sexual past because this person is may not be your husband and he is not old that information but as you're going into marriage it's different um do you um, think that you have to tell your Christ, your husband I would disagree I don't think I don't think you have to tell your Christ, your husband or wife everything about your past dating everything but I do think there needs to be it needs to be safe space where it can sure. be discussed. Sure. What it, it doesn't necessarily have to be mandated. Right. But if if the if there's a desire for that information, um, there needs to be a safety mm-hmm. in the delivery and the receiving of it. Yeah, I think this is a good. Uh, this is a question almost about boundaries too, because like you said, Valerie, there's a difference between marriage and a dating relationship. And also even in marriage, there's, you you know, you build, you build that, um, you want to marry somebody where you're safe. There's good, healthy boundaries and there's a safety there that you know that you can be naked and unashamed, you know, that you can open up your life to them and they will know the intimate parts of you and not reject you or shame you or use it against you. You want it. That's what we want. But we all have sin. So we all we all fail to do that sometimes, you know, not with each other. When we open up to each other, we our responses, it, it causes a response. So I think just learning how to there, there's wisdom to be 
had in making that decision and discernment and knowing what's a good healthy boundary and where where you know when you're just dating somebody is certainly not time to open up all of the um areas of your life and what you've done in the past but there probably is a point in the relationship even before marriage where you're going to want to open up some more and find out if this person's safe for you to be intimate with um so yeah i think I don't think you have to, you don't have to. The question was, I think, do I have to? No, you don't have to. Um, But I think it would be important to, if you're feeling like you have to, being pressured to have to, I think that's not, that's a, I think that's a warning sign too. Maybe not to leave the relationship, but just to say, hold on a minute. A bit of a red flag. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. you know, you, you need to have those intimate discussions with God about your whole life and be able to walk in wisdom about those areas and then people after that i think you know as in the church we're constantly told to save our bodies save our bodies for marriage and and it's great but what we're not also what we're not told is to also save our hearts um and our hearts include our secrets our hearts include our past. Our hearts include our dreams, our fears. And while I I have been vigilant about guarding my body, I have not guarded my heart with the same vigilance. And it leaves you open to being wounded. So I do think it is your it is your responsibility to guard your heart and to ensure when you do decide to share your heart, again, mm-hmm. it's safe. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's a big indicator, I think, of whether you're unequally yoked or not. Like, right. I mean, Proverbs says, guard your heart for it's the wealth of life. And um, so when you start opening your heart up and you feel like it's time to let the guard down some in a dating relationship. And if that's an area that shows that there's not um, if it feels safe or if it feels shame, shame has to enter in from that person towards you. You know, I just think if you're not willing to be on the same page with how you deal with those things, that would be a sign of unequal yoked flag too. you know, I mean, where you're not where you're not wanting to address painful history together in a or even good history together if it comes across as um, a shameful thing. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Join me next time where I'll be speaking with three more incredible women about real life and real things. For more inspiring conversations, articles and opinions, head to womanalive.co.uk. Woman Alive. Real women, real lives, real faith.